for me, it's not so much a matter of that uh, a community-based evaluation or feedback loop should be what certification hinges on. It's a matter of having multiple multiple indicators from a variety of perspectives that mutually inform one another about how that was someone's promise for teaching and what they need to improve. Rather, rather than having multiple indicators, but you know what? There's this one that's a set of questions that everyone has to take under a high pressure situation. And no matter what all the other ones say, that one trumps and that one actually decides what happens. That's, that's what I think is problematic. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sofronis. What does the research say about the benefits of bringing more teachers of color into our classrooms? Are teacher licensure exams creating barriers to enter the teaching profession, particularly for those who want to teach English learners? How might alternatives like community-based assessments help bring in more aspiring teachers? We discuss these questions and much more with Emery Petschauer. Emory is an associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University. He studies high-stakes teacher licensure exams and their relationship to the racial diversity of the teaching profession. Theories of social psychology and spatial studies inform his work, as do many years of working individually with pre-service teachers to pass these exams. Dr. Petschauer has received teaching awards at both the high school and college levels, including the Board of Trustees Distinguished Teaching Award at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, the nation's first historically black university. His most recent book, Navigating Teacher Licensure Exams, offers practical, empirically sourced insights into the high-stakes licensure exams required in most states for teacher certification. This unique resource foregrounds the experiences of diverse pre-service teachers, including teachers of color, to understand how they organize their preparation efforts, overcome self-doubt and anxiety, and navigate the high-pressure space of this important testing event. Before we get started with our conversation with Emery, just a quick reminder that you can stay connected with us by joining our EL community at elevationeducation.com slash EL community. There you can leave comments about this episode and others. You can also engage in great content like our Whiteboard Wednesday short video series, blog posts, and articles. And finally, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us continue bringing you the best topics and guests on Highest Aspirations. As always, thanks for listening. Here's our conversation with Dr. Emery Petschauer. Emery Petschauer, thanks so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Hey, Steve. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, I found out about your work through an article in Education Week. I was really intrigued by the title. It said, uh, the title was, We Need More Teachers of Color. Let's Scrap the Exams That Keep Them Out of the Classroom. And as someone who taught for a long time and had to take a lot of exams and didn't do particularly well on them, but considered myself a pretty good teacher, I was really intrigued by that. So let's let's talk about that. I'd love to first talk about uh, why you 
along with many others, first believe that we need more teachers of color, which I think is, you know, super important and many of us believe. But I want to get to the root of that. What is the main sort of idea of that? Why do you believe that that's necessary? Yeah, for sure. So, so a couple of reasons. One, uh, m- most, most prevalently, um, we have now, as you know, over 50% of students who sit in classrooms in the U.S. are students of color. Um, and the research is really clear about the benefits of teachers of color for students of color um, on both, you know, how they feel about themselves, you know, grades and learning, so on and so forth. So it's really important in that way. Um, but that's not just it, because teachers of color also have an incredibly powerful impact on white students who are in classrooms. Um, and speaking as a white person myself, I, I can attest to that from my own experience, how having um, knowledge and expertise um, in mentoring in my own life from teachers of color have had um, an incredible impact on me, um, especially in ways that um, that couldn't necessarily happen if if all of the teachers I had were white. Um, so so there's benefits for for all students who are sitting in U.S. classrooms. Yeah, that's great. And like you know, one of the things we'll get into the EL uh, lens in a little bit, and the English learner lens. But you know, one of the things that we always say is that you know, good instruction for EL students, or in this case, students of color, is good for everyone. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that it's good for everyone. I mean, I think it's important to, that we all have mentors um, of, uh, that are people of, of different races, um, certainly different uh, genders as well, and, and the more diversity, the better. So getting into, so, you know, I want to mention the, the book that you wrote. It's called Navigating Teacher Licensure Exams, Success and Self-Discovery of the Highest, I'm sorry, of the High Stakes Path to the Classroom. What is it about, uh, based on your research on that book, what is it about the exams themselves that you feel like are keeping some teachers of color out of the classroom? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing I'd say is that um, the exams keep you know, teachers, teachers of all, all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all races out of the classrooms. Um, they almost kept me out of the classroom multiple times, so I'll just reinforce that as well. Right, when, when perhaps there were other... Um, you know, more direct measures or indicators of your teaching effectiveness or your teaching promise that, that said something else. But yet the way it was configured, the exams trumped that, right, which is, which is a problem. So the issue, the issue is that they have, the exams have a, a disproportionate impact on the opportunities for aspiring teachers of color to enter the profession. So in working on this book, which I have to add when I, when I talk about this book, you know, oftentimes when books come out, it's just, your, it's just one person's name on it. But when really there, there's a whole host of people who have been a part of in supporting it. And that's, and that's really important to mention for a book like this. Um, and a, as a white educator and researcher, um, writing with and about the experiences of pre-service teachers of color, it's important to acknowledge that um, there's a long history of white researchers um, kind of misrepresenting um, the experiences of, of quote-unquote uh, subjects of color. So in writing this book, I try to take a lot of precautions with um, having people, uh, other colleagues of color supporting me and being a part of this research and speaking into it. Um, so there's a number of folks um, who have just really had my back, um, you know, professional colleagues of color who have had my back, like Dakota Irby, Lynette Mawini, Kira Baker-Doyle, through this process. Um, so I just need, I need to speak them out as, as I talk about this book as, as something that has my name on it. Absolutely. Um, but, but through this book, what, you know, what we and I found is that um, 
oftentimes teachers of pre-service teachers of color do pass these exams, um, but there's so many things that they have to do to pass that really has very little to do with being an effective teacher. Um, so these are things like learning how to work really well in a high pressured time situation or dealing with um, the affective dimensions of licensure exams like nervousness and anxiety or specifically dealing with uh, the stereotype threat that is associated with standardized exams. Um, and absolutely there's, there's instances in which there are there were specific contents that they had to learn in order to pass the exam but for the most part the these changes they had to make that would make the difference between getting over that hump or not getting over that hump um, really have have little to do with the, the the direct action of teaching young folks today yeah and that's that's what makes it so difficult I, I you know I want to narrow this down to to you know, the teachers of English learners, many of which, you know, would be teachers of color, te people who are bilingual, folks who want to come in and, and work with students who kind of are dealing with similar challenges that they may be dealt with. This is obviously a highly um, diverse uh, group of people. It's a diverse group of students that they're working with. And teachers are going to need sort of special skills and training language, obviously, be, being one of them. And I, like I said, like, I think it's really important to have um, teachers in the classroom who are, who have experienced the similar challenges as the students they're facing or they're working with, excuse me. So how do you see exams specifically impacting aspiring EL teachers um, with those kind of backgrounds and maybe some language obstacles as well? Yeah, for sure. I think the, the biggest uh, dimension of the exams that would play into those situations, it, if indeed those aspiring teachers are second and third and additional language learners themselves, um, is the aspect of it being timed. So I often say that, you know, the, these exams, um, they're, they're not measuring, um, you know, just how much, how much you know about something. They're measuring how well you can perform under a, a very particular set of constraints. And, and one set of those constraints is around time. Um, in, in, in interesting, in, in, in New York State, a number of these exams have, have been challenged in court over the last five years. Um, and you can read the narratives of, um, of aspiring teachers who, teach, who uh, have, have learned and are fluent in multiple languages. And you can read the narratives of them talking about the, the specific challenge that the time limit places upon them and how much of an impact and their and, and their the estimation of their own experience taking it how much of an impact that's had on them so i really think in, in, the, in that instance time and performing in that high pressure timed situation has has a huge effect yeah and you know as you speak so much of this also applies to students as well i mean that are trying you know you have students who are learning a new language um, or, or students maybe who are just, uh, for whatever reason, uh, don't function well in those time situations. I mean, I have children myself and I have one child who, who, you know, has accommodations for that, but it's the same kind of idea, right? Performing under these really difficult constraints that don't necessarily have much to do with your ability to teach, uh, your content area or certainly to teach language, um, are, are preventing both students and teachers in many cases, um, from, from getting to where they want to be. Do you see parallels in those two uh, between students and teachers? And is that something that you've looked at? I definitely see parallels there. Um, when, when we put that time pressure on, on a situation, how that, how that changes um, the manner in which one goes about a task. Um, and, and 
you know, in, in my mind, I oftentimes compare it to, um, to the difference between, um, you know, with athletics, doing something well in practice and then having to do it well in the championship game, right? When the pressure's on, you know, the clock is ticking down, everybody's watching. Um, I oftentimes talk about and think about these exams um, as a test event. So th it's this event that you put on your calendar, you train for, mm -hmm. and when it comes time to take it, you have to perform, you have to execute. Um, and I think that's something that students experience in classrooms as well, right? Yeah. Um, whereas there's other opportunities to demonstrate um, their, their learning in multiple ways, but when it comes down to this high pressure test situation that's staring at them on the calendar, um, there's, a different, there's a different set of skills that are implicated in that. And it doesn't mean that folks can't be successful in doing that. Pe people tend to be resourceful when they're given opportunities in, in what they need to be successful, but it's a matter of if that's actually the experience that we want to put people through to tell us what they know and what they can do. Yeah. And that training, like you have to ask yourself is, is the, is training to take an exam sort of the best use um, of your time, right. especially as an aspiring teacher, you know, I mean, I would argue no, given my, my 17 years experience in the classroom. Um, okay. So, so let's talk a little bit about alternatives and one alternative that you propose um, is these community-based evaluations. And we have talked on this podcast before about uh, grow your own teacher programs that many districts are, are creating to increase the pool of bilingual teachers um, in their pipelines. And th this community-based evaluation seems to fit in there. So um, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about first what these community-based evaluations look like and am I right to associate them with grow your own programs? Does that make sense? Is that a connection that we can make? Yeah, that's definitely a, a good connection to make there. So that idea of community-based evaluations, uh, for me, it comes from uh, Teacher Evaluation Network, which is a small organization out of Oakland, California. And what they have is uh, a tool that helps give teachers feedback from multiple bodies in their community. So we're talking about students, we're talking about uh, community members, you know, parents and caretakers. It gives teachers feedback from those constituencies in the community um, about their teaching and how to improve. So it's not um, shipping off a video of yourself teaching to some person somewhere hired by Pearson to evaluate your teaching and give right, feedback, right? right? Um, it's actually getting feedback from the folks who your teaching should be most relevant to, the people in your classroom, their families, their communities. So, so to me, that's a, that's, a really, that's a really important feedback mechanism for teachers and a really important, um, a really important uh, additional lens to give teachers feedback. So, so, it's, so, so for me, it's not so much a matter of um, that a, a community-based evaluation or feedback loop should um, sh should be what certification hinges on. It's a matter of having um, multiple, multiple indicators from a variety of perspectives that mutually inform one another about how, that was someone's promise for teaching and what they need to improve Ra rather, rather than having multiple indicators. But you know what? There's this one mm -hmm. that's a set of questions that everyone has to take under a high pressure situation. And no matter what all the other ones say, that one trumps and that one actually decides what happens. That's, that's what I think is problematic. 
Yeah, for sure. I'll reflect on that for one second with my own experience. And then I have a follow-up question for you. I mean, I, I was really lucky um, a few years ago to, to be able to, to, to do a master's program at the Harvard Graduate School of Education after teaching for a long time. And that was kind of the bridge to, to me coming to, to elevation. But the reason I mention it is because, you know, as any rigorous admissions process, the, the admissions process is, is there's a lot to do. And one of the things that I, that I had to do uh, was take the GRE. And I was 38 years old at the time. Um, and I mean, I wasn't going to spend, I have a family, I'm busy. I, I wanted to spend my time reflecting and writing an essay and, you know, doing those parts of the admissions process. So I took the GRE and needless to say, I, I, my performance was, was not, not very good. Um, and I was concerned, you know, that, that, that was going to be the thing that kind of, that, that kept me out of there. But I think to the, to the credit of the program, um, they looked at, holistically at, at a lot of different things. And I was admitted and I was able to go. And I think what you're talking about now is similar to that, that there's just not this one thing in this case, the GRE or in your, in your case, the teacher preparation, the teacher, you know, test, um, isn't going to be the thing that, that hundred percent prevents you from, from doing that. So my follow-up question is, if we bring in these community-based evaluations, and I love the idea of, you talked about different constituencies from the community, from the family, from the school, et cetera. How, how scalable do you think that is? And that information, I guess, might be on that teacher evaluation network, but I'm curious from your perspective, do you think that's something that can, that can scale and that can we use in other communities? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's possible. Um, uh, with the way uh, 10 or teacher evaluation network, the, my understanding of how that works is that um, a school or a district kind of decides that this is this is something that this is a tool that they want to use uh, for for a feedback loop, an improvement loop for their teachers. Um, so it's when we talk about scale, um, oftentimes that conversation goes to some some you know large up uh, for profit entity or even a nonprofit entity like ETS that's going to d develop this and then roll it out across these, these multiple scales. Um, and, and, that's, and that's where we get into what I think are some of the drawbacks of something like a TPA. Um, and, you know, performance assessments, which are, are, are another, another one of those um, indicators that could be, that are really useful for, for teachers and aspiring teachers, pre-service teachers. But the question is, is that, is that being evaluated by somebody who knows the specific context or is it to be evaluating in a, in a context less situation? Um, so if we talk about scaling community-based feedback loops and evaluations, um, I think the question is to what degree can that remain still rooted in the community of that school or around that school rather than it being rooted in this, in this, entity that's somehow above or broader than each of those specific contexts, and then therefore no longer actually be a community-based evaluation. Got it. Yep. Makes sense. So I want to play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, if someone, you know, says to you, well, you know, teaching is a very kind of high stakes situation. You do need to be able to work under pressure. And some days are like that sort of championship game, you know, and some people would say that, the exam kind of uh, gives you that experience and therefore is an indicator of whether or not you're going to perform or perhaps it's an important benchmark like in any other profession you hear that quite frequently and that eliminating it you know might lead to less qualified teachers how would you respond to that yeah it's it's certainly a seductive way of teach of thinking and and um and i think we oftentimes have a difficult time thinking outside of that that way of thinking but i would i would say a few things um as a comparison we might think about 
how we uh, give people a, a license to drive a car, right? Um, we, we, you have to get a license to drive a car just like you need a license to teach because you could do a lot of damage driving a car if you don't know how to operate it properly. Just like you could do a lot of damage in a classroom if you don't know how to operate properly. Um, now, unfortunately, we have a lot of auto deaths every 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 year. So, um, the sad thing is, I think we need to acknowledge that we actually can't have a mechanism that ensures um, that everyone is ready to practice before they enter the classroom. Um, teaching is so large, and we need so many teachers. Um, that's a goal that we actually can't achieve, and that's a hard truth to accept. Um, but if we accept that, then that allows us to think differently and more creatively about indicators of promise in pre-service teachers. Um, and it allows us to, to realize that teacher licensure exams, um, it, most teachers understand that these licensure exams um, don't, don't relate to teaching effectiveness, right? Um, and, and, and the research bears that out very clearly. What we have a harder time letting go of is this idea that the teacher licensure exams actually aren't testing what teachers need to know. And I often say it like this, the exams aren't measuring or testing how well a teacher knows the content they have to teach. The exams are testing how well a teacher can perform on a test about a small slice of information that they might or might not teach. So if we allow that to trump more direct indicators of teaching promise and teaching effectiveness, what we're actually doing is we're keeping teacher quality down because there are other indicators of, teach, of teacher quality, um, like the ability to build robust and creative curriculum that helps students solve the pressing real world problems that they need to solve as a next generation. Um, the ability to inspire students, the ability to, 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 to bend learning in the classroom around what's happening in communities. Um, these are all way more, way more um, important qualities or indicators of teacher quality, or I would say uh, opera, uh, ways to operationalize teacher quality than how well somebody performs, uh, how well somebody tests on a narrow slice of information right. that they might teach at some point. Yeah, some really good points there. And everything that you're saying really reflects a lot of the current research and certainly a lot of the sort of current news about, you know, there's a lot of the sort of trending news about, and it should be trending, it's quite important, building relationships with students um, in order to, particularly with English learners, in order to um, sort of maximize the impact that you have and maximize their potential later. Uh, you mentioned building curriculum, um, doing things uh, that are going to be highly relevant to students, particularly students who uh, who may be lacking the language skills that they need, but have so many other assets in other um, in other areas. So let's get back to that 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 EL sort of lens. Um, it, you know, you've written a book about this topic. I'm curious. You just you just talked a little bit about indicators of teaching quality and teaching promise. What do you think is the most important indicator of teaching success? Of teacher success, excuse me, particularly particularly for impacting language learners. Um, yeah. And I'm assuming it's not exam results. Right, yeah, I, I would say it's not exam results. Um, a really important thing for me um, is, is teachers having um, language ideologies, so that their, kind of their beliefs and perspectives um, about language that, um, that for, from which flows an understanding that acquiring an additional language um, is, is an asset, it's a value. I, I mean, really this, this notion that they're, they're emerging bilinguals um, rather than just deficient in, 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 in an additional language, but that 
these are emerging bilingual and multilingual students, and that that language ideology, that dispositional belief about language is shapes the type of student interactions that teachers foster, it shapes the type of curriculum that they build, um, it shapes how um, how they pull how they pull EL students into learning. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the emerging bilinguals and the asset-based nature of looking at these students. And I feel like we don't escape an episode without talking about these students as assets, which I feel like is 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 really important. I mean, given that the that that English learners are the highest growing demographic um, in our country, and that we sort of have an expression and it might be a little idealistic that every teacher is a teacher of language. I have to ask you this question. Do you see on these exams that teachers have to take before entering um, entering the profession, do you see a reflection of that, 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 you know, language is important and that all teachers are teachers of language, or is that not generally represented on these exams? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've, I continue to take um, a number of these exams just to, because um, I'm, I'm, I work in a teacher education program at Michigan State uh, University. I coordinate the, the the English teacher ed program, so so I can I continue to to stay abreast on the exams that that my students have to take. Um, I take you take them yourselves. I do yourself. That I sounds do. horrifying. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a twisted uh, twisted interest. Um, so um, so I I can't tell you if if the TESOL exam um, if that gets to um, language ideologies or not. Um, what, what, what I can tell you is that um, the what's sometimes called a basic skills exam or, P, or PRE, um, which oftentimes pre-service teachers have to take before they're admitted into a teacher education program. So you have to test into the program. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you that that, and I can tell you that um, secondary English exam, uh, the ones that I've taken in, in multiple states, I can tell you that those don't get to that. Yeah, it seems like an important element, you know, that that whatever sort of agency is creating those exams, uh, given the the shifting demographics in our country and the importance of language learning, seems like it's something that should be emphasized. But perhaps it's not the right place to emphasize it, you know, given our, given everything that we've we've mentioned. Yeah. So uh, you've you've written a book that we mentioned that we're going to link to as well. I'm curious if there's another book or resource that that might have influenced you uh, either personally or professionally that you'd like to share with listeners. Yeah. Well, oh, that's a long conversation right there. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for, for me there was um, a, a book that really early on in my um, you know my career as an educator. So I was I was a high school English teacher in Southern California, um, actually in the most southwesterly high school in the United States. We were a few blocks from the beach and a few miles from the border. Um, and in in a book that really um, kind of influenced me early on um, in in my undergraduate teacher education program was Pedagogy of the Oppressed, mm -hmm. um, and that's a book that um, I've come back to. Um, in multiple seasons of, of my professional life as an educator, as a teacher educator, now as a scholar. And every, every time I pick it up to read it, I, I have a different color pen in my hand. So when I flip through it now, I can see there's green markings, there's purple markings, there's black markings, there's blue markings. And it's, it's this interesting documentation of, of, of what in there has stood out to me given the different season of professional life that I'm reading it in. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's, so that's a book that continually, um, you know, I, I come back to and read and it always reads me in different ways as well, given where I am. 
those are the best kind. And I love the, the, the vision of, of the different uh, color markings in a book. I've done the same thing, but there's only a few books, maybe a handful that I can think of that, that have that sort of uh, power to, uh, I think you said that, that, that reads me differently. That's a great way to put it. Um, so this is a huge topic and one that we just kind of scraped the surface of. Um, curious how people can learn more about the work you're doing or this, uh, this topic in general. Yeah, for sure. So um, uh, all of the, the scholarly articles I've written about this topic and other topics are all available online on my academia account. So you can just, you know, Google my name and academia will pop up. Um, I also interact with folks on Twitter, um, just under my name. And then um, I'm also part of a, a, a cooperative uh, organization that works with schools and organizations uh, that are committed to racial justice. We support their efforts to grow um, in their racial justice efforts. Um, and the name of that, that cooperative is Darute, D-R-U-T-E. So folks can find, about, find out about the you know, consulting or evaluation or really racial justice work that I do uh, at DarutConsulting.com. Perfect. And we'll link to all those in the show notes. You can find those at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. Um, and with that, Emery, it's been really uh, enlightening to speak with you about something that, uh, that many of us have experienced either successfully or unsuccessfully. Um, and hopefully uh, people walk away with a little bit more of an understanding about how these um, exams are affecting uh, particularly teachers of color um, and teachers who might be working with English learners uh, who, again, are are a rapidly growing demographic in our country and who um, we obviously take a special interest in here. So thanks so much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and for the interest in the topic. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.